Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Josh Gonzalez. I'm going to talk to you about a serious subject this morning. Hypocrisy. You're all a bunch of hypocrites. Amen. 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 <laughs> That's a good way to start a sermon. You know, I remember listening to a preacher one more that he, uh, one morning I was listening to a preacher and he was saying that he was having a conversation with someone who was trying to encourage him to come to church. And that person turned and said to him, said, Pastor, I don't, I, I don't think I can go to church. You know, I, I don't want to be a hypocrite. The pastor looked at him and said, you feel like you're a hypocrite if you come to church? He said, that's all right. There's always room for one more. Amen. <laughs> you see, this word hypocrisy is such a misunderstood word sometimes. And this is why I want to speak on it this morning. You know, if you go to the Webster's Dictionary and you look up the meaning of hypocrisy, it has two meanings. One, it says a feigning to be what one is not or to believe what one does not. Behavior that contradicts what one claims to believe or feel. Are we happy with that response? Does that make sense? This next definition of hypocrisy says, the false assumption of an appearance of virtue or religion. Now that one hits a little bit more close to home, doesn't it? And this is the one that we struggle with. And we struggle with this definition of hypocrisy. And sometimes because we believe, I guess, a distorted definition of hypocrisy in a Christian sense, it can cause us to not come to church, to not want to uh, follow God, to not want to follow God's calling on our life. You know, I've had many, many conversations with people about this problem because so many times I've spoken to people and I've said, you should come to church or you should come to, you know, Bible study or something. And they'll turn around and said, I, I can't do that because I would be a hypocrite. And sometimes some of us feel the same way. And, you know, I'm not going to get anybody to raise their hands this morning, but I'm pretty sure that if we had an honest conversation right now, a number of you here this morning would feel like you're a hypocrite just by sitting in the seat that you're sitting in the place that you're sitting this morning. But what we need to do, like everything, is we need to have a proper biblical definition and understanding. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We are going to go into the Bible and we're going to read, we're going to do a Bible study and we're going to look at every single verse, verse in the Bible that mentions hypocrisy and then we're going to come out with a real proper biblical conclusion and understanding as to what hypocrisy is. Amen? Amen. Let's do it. Let's bow our heads first. Yeah, let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we're so grateful for this opportunity. We thank you, Father, for this beautiful Sabbath, for bringing us all here this morning. Lord, none of us are here, or I hope none of us are here, because we feel like we deserve your blessings, your goodness, Lord, your mercy, your grace. In fact, most of us should be here because we realize and we know in our hearts that we don't. But even though we don't deserve these things, Lord, we know that you give them to us, Lord, because not that we are good, but because you are good. And Father, Lord, we realize and we recognize in our souls that we need you. We need you desperately, Lord. And so this morning we pray and we ask, Lord, speak to our hearts. 
Do something, Father God. Do not let us leave church this morning the same way we arrived. Please be with me, Lord, and give me the words as without you I can do nothing. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to the book of Matthew. Now, we'll have the verses on the screen, but if you can follow along with me in your Bibles, always good to do that. We're looking at the topic of hypocrisy, the word hypocrite. And if I was to ask you what a hypocrite means to you, you'd probably come up with maybe some different answers, but most of you will lean towards that definition of someone who claims to be something that he is not, or someone who tells others to do things that they themselves don't do. And that is a very precise definition of hypocrisy. But the thing is, is that for some reason, a lot of the times, as Christians, as followers and children of God, we distort this meaning, this word, this definition, and we apply it to ourselves in a way in which we shouldn't. Now, let's go to the Bible and let's see what Jesus has to say about it, because one of the things that we find is that pretty much every verse, you're going to see this, pretty much every verse that deals with hypocrisy in the Bible is actually words that are coming from the mouth of Christ himself. And we see that Jesus has a lot to say about this subject. So if we go to Matthew chapter 6 and we start at verse 2, the Bible says this. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go through clear definitions, biblical definitions of what hypocrisy is. Matthew chapter 6 verse 2, when you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. Now, one of the things that you're going to notice is Jesus has a lot to say about hypocrisy. And most of the time that he's speaking, pretty much all the time he's speaking about this, he's not very happy. It comes across that he's not very happy. Look what he says in verse 5. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. He goes on in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 6 to say, And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the who? hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. So what do we have very clear from these verses so far that we've looked at? The first biblical definition that we get about what hypocrisy is, is doing spiritual things for the wrong reasons. <clears throat> Fasting is a good thing. Amen? Amen. Praying is a good thing. Amen. Giving to someone in need is a good thing. It is actually part of our Christian duty to do these things. But when we do these things, not for the fact that we're doing them for the right reason, but when we do them to get attention brought to ourselves, when we do it in a way that we're doing it simply so that other people can look at us and say, oh, what a pious person that is. Oh, what a great faithful Christian that person is. Then we are doing it for the wrong reason. And Jesus says, whatever reward is supposed to come with those deeds, they will not come. That attention that they're seeking, he says, that's the only reward they will get. Nothing else. So we understand biblically, very clearly, that one of the things the Bible tells us hypocrisy is, is when we do spiritual things for the wrong reasons. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 1. The Bible says, 
do not judge others and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Now, this is a very stern warning. You know, there are a lot among us that love to go around and judge and criticize and always pointing the finger at other people. Well, what happens if we are one of those people is that the level by which we then are judged ends up becoming much higher. And the problem we have with that is, is that none of us are able to live up to the level that is then brought before us. And so we need to be careful about that. But he goes on to say, and this is Jesus speaking, he says, And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. The second very clear definition that we get biblically of what hypocrisy is, is judging others when you are guilty yourself. And it's a very serious problem, this one. Let's go on to chapter, same chapter, chapter 7. No, sorry, let's go to Mark, the book of Mark, chapter 7. Starting at verse 5. The Bible says, So the Pharisees and teachers of religious law asked him, Who were they asking? Who were they asking? Jesus. The Pharisees and the teachers of religious law asked him, Why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. Jesus replied, what? You hypocrites, he says. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Then he said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God, honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Then he said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. For instance, oh, sorry, am I reading the same thing twice? Sorry, I've got a twice here for some reason. Let me finish it, though, now that I started that. He said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God. Honor your father and your mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father and mother must be put to death. The third thing that the Bible makes clear is hypocrisy, is putting your own traditions over and above the word of God. Putting your own traditions over and above the word of God. Now, we look at the Pharisees in the time of Jesus. We look at the Jewish people in the time of Jesus. And we can see that this was a big problem. Traditions being put over the word of God. You see, a lot of people have this misunderstanding that Jesus came to the world and he started preaching this message. And what Jesus brought was this brand new message. This revolutionary ideas. But you see, Jesus didn't bring anything new. Jesus, what he was doing was bringing back what had been forgotten, was trying to reinstate what had been distorted. 
Because for so long, the Jews started putting their own ideas and their own traditions and their own ways of doing things over God's word, over the commands of God. And you see, one of the things we need to be very careful, church, is that we don't get caught up in the same mistake. Because we need to ask ourselves too, as Seventh-day Adventists today, do we sometimes do this? Are we sometimes guilty of this? You know, I've heard stories and I've been in situations with churches where people have been so zealous in keeping what really is traditions of the church, not so much the word of God. And they do it to a point where they end up putting those traditions over and above people and people get hurt in the process. And Jesus wasn't about that. So we need to be very careful that we don't put our traditions over the word of God. Because if we start to do this and then start to put those traditions on other people, and then if they don't live up to those traditions, we start to judge them. Jesus has one clear word for those who do that. He says, hypocrites. That's hypocrisy, according to Jesus. Let's go back to the book of Matthew. And we're going to go to verse uh, chapter 16 in Matthew. Matthew 16, starting at verse 1. Then the Pharisees and the Sadducees came and testing him asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. Note that word there, testing. They tested, right? Verse 2, he answered and said to them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather for the sky is red and threatening. What's that next word? Hypocrites. You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. Now, what's so wrong about what they're doing here? Why is Jesus reacting this way? What they're doing is this, and this is the, the fourth thing that the Bible makes clear, or that Jesus himself makes clear is hypocrisy, is when we test and doubt God while having more faith in the world or in ourselves. In other words, these guys would look at the weather and they would read the signs of the weather, yet when it came to God's word and they saw the signs, they didn't believe. They were quick to believe what the world was saying and what the world was teaching and prophesying, but not God himself and his word. You see, we sometimes have this problem as well. Now, I've said this before as a joke, but you know what they say, right? There is truth behind every joke. But sometimes I like to throw out this little thing out there and see how people react. And I would say, and I'll say it to you this morning, I say, some of us have more faith in Nappy San's ability to cleanse than the blood of Christ. Now, that might sound funny, but it's true. And it's sad that it's true because you see, we turn on our washing machine, we put the detergent in and we have all the faith in the world that when that thing's finished, it's going to come up clean. Yet why do we continue to doubt what God reveals to us in his word about the saving power of his blood, the cleansing power of his blood? And we continue to doubt and we doubt that we've been forgiven and we doubt that we've been saved. We continue to doubt what God has clearly said. And so when we profess ourselves to be children of God, profess ourselves to be believers in Christ and his word, yet in our heart, we have more faith in ourselves and in the world than we do in the word of God. Jesus says that is what? That's hypocrisy. 
Let's move over to Matthew 22. Matthew 22, starting at verse 15. Matthew 22, verse 15, the Bible says, Then the Pharisees met together to plot how to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. They sent some of their disciples along with the supporters of Herod to meet him. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You teach the way of God truthfully. You are impartial and don't play favorites. Now tell us what you think about this. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus knew their evil motives. What does he say? You hypocrites. He said, why are you trying to trap me? Here, here, he says, show me the coin used for the tax. When they handed him a Roman coin, he asked, whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well, then he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. His reply amazed them. They went and they went away. You see, they came to Jesus Pardon me. They came to Jesus and they said, teacher, how honest you are. You're such a great teacher. You know, this is funny because I've actually had this happen to me. I've had people come up to me and go, pastor, great preacher, all of this stuff. When I know behind my back, they talk about me. You see, everything gets revealed in this life. But what Jesus is bringing out here is something that the Bible also lets us know is hypocrisy. And that's this. When you pretend to do good, when your intentions are what? Evil. You see, the Bible says Jesus knew their evil motives. Even though they were pretending to be nice and pretending to be good and pretending to be loving, they had evil motives in their heart. And God sees through all of that. We can't lie to God. We can't hide from God. And Jesus says, That's hypocrisy. That's hypocrisy. The next one, we're going to go to the book of Luke. Let's go to the book of Luke, chapter 11, verse 37. The book of Luke, chapter 11, verse 37. The Bible says there in verse 37 of Luke 11, And as he spoke, a certain Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and sat down to eat. When the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. Then the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees make the outside of the cup and dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness, foolish ones. Did he not who made the outside make the inside also? He goes on to say in verse 41, But rather give alms of such things as you have, then indeed all things are clean to you. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass by justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like graves which are not seen and the men who walk over them are not aware of them. In the book, uh, in the New Living Translation, It says it like this, that last verse there, 44. It says, yes, what sorrow awaits you, for you are like hidden graves in a field. People walk over them without knowing the corruption they are stepping on. Those are pretty strong words, right? It's kind of interesting because as I was going through this and and preparing this message, I started to realize that the tone in which Jesus speaks and the words that Jesus says... It kind of comes across, in a sense, if you just kind of judge Jesus based on what he has to say about the hypocrites, he doesn't sound like a very nice person. He sounds like an angry person. He sounds like someone who has a problem, right? 
And we start to see that Jesus has a big issue because the group that he keeps going back to and calling hypocrites, what's special about the Pharisees and Sadducees? Is there anything special about them? Okay, they were scumbags. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to look at, at the positives. There's a lot of negatives, right? But did not the Pharisees and Sadducees have an important position? Did they not have an important responsibility? Were they not entrusted by God to be his representatives? These guys were the leaders of the church. These guys were the ones that were supposed to lead the people, instruct the people, encourage the people, bring the people to God. But instead of doing that, what were they doing? They were judging. They were criticizing. And they were doing all of this while they themselves were more guilty of sin than the ones they accused. And what do you think happens when people act that way? Do you think by doing that they bring people closer to God or they push people further away from God? Further away from God. You see, there's been many within the Adventist church itself that have acted like real Pharisees over the history of our church. I, as a pastor, many times come across young people in particular that don't go to church anymore. And when I sit down and listen to their story, most of the reason sometimes that they've left church is because they've come across self-righteous, pharisaical acting Adventists that were always judging and criticizing, never encouraging and loving. And their actions cause people to go away from God and the church instead of coming close to him. And this is something that makes God very upset. Very upset. This is why Jesus has such strong words against these people. But I want to encourage you with something today. As hard as these words may be, we find that Jesus never had anything harsh, never had anything strong, to say ever to sinners like you and me. Amen. He never spoke that way to us. He spoke that way to those that were entrusted as leaders of the church and were doing the opposite of what God had entrusted them to do. But when you look at these beautiful stories like the woman caught in the act of adultery, like the Samaritan woman at the well, like Zacchaeus, the thief and the traitor, like all of these sinners, Jesus had nothing but words of encouragement, of hope and of love and life. That's how Jesus responded to them. That's how Jesus responds to you. Unless, of course, you're a hypocrite. And this is the reason why we need to talk about these things and we need to share these things because if we realize that Jesus has such a problem with this, then we would naturally, right, as his children and followers, we would want to know so that we don't follow down that path. So the number six, I'm going to share one more thing with you after this, but number six, making the scene look good. The scene is what people can see. Making the scene look good. While hiding the inner truth. You know, I remember something once. It was incredible. I was, uh, while I was at college studying, I had the opportunity to do some lectures with the, uh, what was his position? Um, 
the director of the Ellen White Institute of Research and Learning. And we're having a class with him one day, and he started pulling out all of these amazing quotes. And one of the things that he pulled out was this quote by Ellen White, where she says this. Pay attention to this, right? She says, those who are usually the first to criticize others, to judge others, to point the finger at others. She says, those who are usually the first to criticize others are usually the ones most guilty of sin themselves. And so as a director of the Ellen White Research uh, Institute, he says that he would continuously receive emails and messages from, let's just say, well-meaning Adventists who would ask him, please, brother, can you send me Ellen White quotes? But he, they want the Ellen White quotes to rebuke other people. Have you met Adventists like that? There's a lot. Of, I used to know one guy. I won't mention any names. Can't do that. But he used to carry around. He had this belt. And he used to carry around the spirit of prophecy on his belt like he was in the West. And he was always just waiting to pull him out. to, You know what I mean? And always never to encourage Never to bring hope and life and love into people's lives, but always to rebuke and to criticize. And so this, this, um, this man, he, he mentioned how so many people continuously would hit him up, asking him for Ellen White quotes um, to, to rebuke others. And he said he got to a point where once he understood what Ellen White said about it, he would then start replying and simply say to them, what are you hiding? And he'd never hear back from them. You see, there's a big problem when our Christian experience is based on always finding fault with others. There's a big problem when our Christian experience is always criticizing and judging others, especially when we are guilty ourselves. That's why Jesus says, man, why are you worried about the speck in your brother's eye? Have you not noticed the log in your own? We need to be careful that we don't fall into this trap. Making the scene look good while hiding the inner truth. It's not that we have to, you know, go around, you know, telling everyone our problems. We all have problems, amen? We all have struggles. We all have issues. All of us do. That's just the reality. But we can't go around, you know. Like when I first became an Adventist, I, I, you know, I have a little confession time with you guys right now. When I first became an Adventist, I... Just before I became one, I've shared already with most of you my testimony. I was deep in the world, right? I was in gangs, drugs, all of that stuff. Now, when I had my experience with Christ, my encounter with Jesus, I felt that I had to leave that life behind. I had this desire. I just didn't want to be that person anymore. And so I wanted to get as far away from who I used to be. And the place that I found really to kind of help me that at that point in my life was just fundamentalist conservative Adventism. And I, I, I went into that, that, that place. And I remember when I was, an, when I was fresh in, my, in, my, uh, in the church, I was very self-righteous. I had this feeling. Like, you, know, you know that? You know that um, because I, I came from the world, right? Non-Adventist from the world. I come into the church. And you know what I find? I find like, this is what I saw back then. I, like the church is asleep. Like, I'm like, you guys have this amazing truth. And... And you're just disregarding it. And, and so I looked at this verse one time where Jesus says, you know what? If, if the people that I entrust to preach the word don't preach, he said, I will make the very what cry out? The stones, right? And so at that point, I'm like, I felt like I was a stone. 
and I was sent here to wake you Adventists up. But the way I went about it was not Christ-like. And I had to go through a lot of lessons with the Lord to really learn. But some amazing things happened throughout my journey, and God put some really good people in my life. And he put this one brother in my life, and I'll never forget what he shared with me. Because it was pretty strong. I want to share it with you guys. And this was a very humbling experience for me. And you'll know why in just a second. But this brother, he would notice that I'd like to get up in church and I'd like to be very in my preaching. Always rebuking things and rebuking people and doing it in a, with a smile and in a subtle way. But you could tell what I was doing, what I was about. And one day the brother pulled me aside and he said, hey, let me share something with you in love. Something that someone once told me, he said. He said, I used to do the same thing. But then someone pulled me aside and said this to me. He said, we're told in inspiration that whenever Jesus rebukes someone, he did it with tears in his eyes. He did it with tears in his eyes because the way he loved that person that he was rebuking was with such a profound love. And we understand because the Bible tells us that the way Jesus loved, he loved so much that he was willing to give his own life for that person. And so when inspiration tells us that Jesus wept as he rebuked people, we understand that he did it because of the way he loved those people. And he loved them so much that he was willing to give his life for them. And he said this to me, he said, listen, unless you're willing to give your life for the person that you're rebuking, unless you're willing to give your life for that person, this is what he said to me. He said, shut your mouth. Shut your mouth. That was a humbling experience. Was he right? Amen. Amen. I didn't like it at that moment, but praise God over time I was able to see exactly what he was saying. Amen. You see, this is why Jesus had such a problem with this. Jesus didn't give his life. He didn't go through everything that he went through so that his followers can be some self-righteous, pharisaical, judging people, pushing people away from God. He wants us to do everything that we can to bring them to him, not push them away. So we're seeing very clearly what the Bible tells us is hypocrisy. And if we go and continue to see, we see the main point that Jesus keeps coming back to. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You won't go in yourselves and you don't let others enter either. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites, for you cross land and sea to make one convert, and then you turn that one person into twice the child of hell you yourselves are. Whew. That's heavy. That's heavy. He goes on to say, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but don't neglect the more important things. And this is what I was getting at before, is that Jesus doesn't like it when we put our traditions over people. Justice, he says, mercy, faith, he says, these are more important than the traditions. 
What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're guilty, full of greed and self-indulgence. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. We see that Jesus was very serious about hypocrisy. Very serious about it. So much so that he says this, the master will return unannounced and unexpected. This is speaking about the second coming. And it says, and he will cut the servant to pieces and assign him a place with the what? With the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Brothers and sisters, what place do we understand is the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth? What place is that? It's hell. And he says that this is where the hypocrites will be. So we see that Jesus was serious about hypocrisy. And what we've gone through so far is we've looked at what the Bible tells us biblically hypocrisy is. Has it been clear so far? Now, I want to change the tone for a moment and I want to go to what the Bible teaches hypocrisy is not. Because if we find out what it is, we should also find out what it's not. I want to invite you to go with me and I'm going to share a couple of verses, just a couple of verses here. Proverbs 24, 16, brothers and sisters. This is a verse that we should all know off by heart. It says, the godly man, the godly may, the godly. Now, when the Bible refers to someone as godly, what kind of a person do you think that is? A good person? A follower of Christ? Someone who goes to church? Someone who's involved in in church life, right? A Christian. The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. But one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. Now, we've spoken about this verse before, and we'll continue to speak about it because these are the verses that are so important because we often forget. We often forget these things, right? But in this verse, we're seeing that according to the Bible, someone who is godly keeps falling. The wicked falls as well, but there's a difference between that one who's considered godly and that one who's considered wicked. What's the difference? What's the difference according to the verse? They get up again. They get up again, right? Now, let me ask you this. Is the godly person getting up because they're, they're good? I don't know about you, but this verse makes me realize that this person is not very good. Keeps falling. Can anyone relate? I can. Keeps falling. But every time they fall, something happens. Even though when they fall, they get that whisper in the ear. That little voice that says, what are you going to get up for? That little voice that says, what are you doing? Who are you kidding? What are you going to church for? Yora? What's that word we're talking about today? Yora? Hypocrite. That's what the little voice says. But you know what that, that person that falls decides to do at that moment? They decide not to listen to that little voice because that little voice wants them to stay down. And the Bible says that what happens to the one that stays down is that they're lost. Satan's the one with the little voice. And he wants you to stay down. But what happens when you fall? When you fall, Jesus wants to say something to you. We find this in this beautiful verse in Psalm 37. Or it's very similar, but it says this. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he, capital H, God, delights in his way. 
Now, this is a good man according to God, and God delights in this man's way. But look what it says next. Though he, that can't possibly be right. Because the way we view it sometimes is that someone who is godly, someone who is good, they never fall. They have to keep up that appearance of always being righteous and always doing the good thing. The Bible says, though he fall, and this is the beautiful part, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Do you know what happens when you fall? When you fall, Jesus comes to you. He comes to where you are, and he extends his hand. Now, it's up to you whether you're going to take a hold of his hand or not. Because what you need in order to hold on to that hand and get back up is this little word. It's the F word, the Christian F word, not the bad F word, the Christian F word. Does anybody know what the Christian F word is? Faith. It takes faith to hold on to that hand and to get back up. And as long as you have faith in him and what he has done and you trust him, him who has promised to finish the good work that he has started within you. You get back up and you keep walking with him. Amen. Not because you're good. Obviously you're not. That's why the Bible reminds us very clearly. It says, listen, the best you can do, the best effort you can bring forward, your best attempt at righteousness, the Bible says, filthy rags. That's all it is. Nothing more. There's no good in us. But you see, it's not about us being good. It's about us having faith in the one who is good and getting back up and keep walking with him. What am I getting at, guys? I'm getting at this simple point. We've seen very clearly what the Bible teaches hypocrisy is, right? What hypocrisy is not is you going to church even though you're struggling. Let me try maybe on this side. What hypocrisy is not is you going to church even though you're struggling. I'll try again with you guys. What hypocrisy is not is going to church even though you're struggling. Amen. 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 That's not hypocrisy. That you come to church even though you're struggling. Even though you've got one foot in the world and you're struggling. You want to give your heart to Christ but the world still pulls you. You're having that Romans 7 experience. The things you want to do, you don't do them. And the things that you don't want to do, you end up doing them. And you feel like Paul where you say, who will deliver me from this body, uh, this wretched body? If you're going through that process, let me tell you something. Coming to church because you want to be better. Coming to church because you want to get closer to God. Coming to church because you know your life's messed up, but you know here there is someone who can help you and who can change you. Even though it hasn't happened already, even though it hasn't happened the way that you think it should have or would have happened by now, you know that if you keep your faith in Him, eventually He will get you to where you need to be and you keep coming even though you're struggling. If you're doing that, you are not by the Bible standards a hypocrite you are just like every one of us Amen. you're just a person in need of Jesus Amen. so stop having this idea in your mind that because you're still struggling and messed up and going through things that going to church I can't go to church because I'm a hypocrite no you're not a hypocrite what would make you a hypocrite is if you come here stand up the front and try to put on this show and let everyone believe you're something that you're not and then on top of that start judging everyone and condemning everyone when you're guilty yourself that is what would have made you a hypocrite not coming here and saying Jesus I need you in my life that's not hypocrisy 
And we need to stop thinking that it is because we distort what hypocrisy is and we use that as an excuse to keep us from not coming to the feet of Jesus. No more. No more. You're not a hypocrite. You're a sinner just like us. You're someone who needs Jesus just like us. Don't let the devil make you think something else. I'm going to finish with this one verse. We've seen very clearly what hypocrisy is according to Jesus himself, right? Well, you know that there is an antidote to hypocrisy in the Bible. It's found in the book of Matthew chapter 7. If you have your Bibles turned there, we're going to finish with this verse. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. This is the number one thing. Like if, if we follow this, it's impossible for us to be hypocrites. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. This is what the Bible says. And Jesus himself said this. He said this. Oh, clicker's not working. All right. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. He said this is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. He says do to others. As you would have them do to you. If you follow this counsel, you cannot be a hypocrite. If you treat others the way you want to be treated. And what I'm saying is this. I'm not just, we we can't just take this verse in the sense of treat others the way that you would want them to treat you. It's not just that. It's deeper than that. It's treat others not just in the way you want them to treat you, but also in the way you want God to treat you. That's what this verse really means. And I'm going to share real quick with you one, one more humbling experience. I don't know. I feel like sharing. I'm opening up a bit today. Amen. I had someone very close to my life, very, very dear to me, who I was in ministry with for a number of years, would go out on the streets and would preach Jesus and would share with Jesus. And I watched God work through this person. And this person is very, very close to me. I love this person so much. Now, some things happened and this person stopped walking with the Lord and went back out into the world and started, you know, drinking and all of these kind of things, right? And I was watching what was happening. I was trying to talk to them. But this was still as as I was going through my experience where God was changing me and stuff. But, you know, because of the relationship I have with this person, my gut instinct was when I saw them do these things, I just wanted to rebuke them and tell them off and like, you know better and Bible bash them and bring out the Ellen White quotes and all of that stuff. And I remember one day I saw a post that they put on Facebook and they had a beer in their hand. I was like, this is it. I was filled with righteous anger. Not very righteous, but, you know. And I was determined to go to that person. And I got up and I was going to that person. I was going to give it to them. I was going to let them have it. How could you? You know better. Like all these things I was thinking in my head, I was going to hit them with everything, just guilt tripping them into coming back to Jesus, right? Because that always works, yeah? Guilt tripping people is the most effective method to bring someone back. No, not at all. And one day I'm walking and I'm, I'm going towards this person's house and and I've got to tell you, there's been two times in my life where I've, I've really felt like I've heard the voice of God. And I'm not saying like in some kind of Hollywood way, you know, where everything goes dark and some light comes. It's like, oh, like it's not one of those things. But I, could just, I know God spoke to me. And as I was on my way to see this person, to give it to them, I just heard these words and they stopped me dead in my tracks. Do you know what God said to me? All he said to me was this. He said, Josh, remember how patient I was with you? 
I couldn't even take a step forward. Because the moment he said that, it was like flashbacks. All the times that I was unfaithful and I had let him down and I knew better and I still was out in the world and I was doing my own thing and I could see how all the time God was with me and he was patient and he was loving and he was taking care of me and he was protecting me and he was bringing me to where I am today. Amen. And he said, Josh, remember how patient I was with you? And then he said, why do you want to treat people differently? Why do you want to treat others differently, Josh? Man, I broke down at that moment. I'm telling you, like that broke me. That humbled me. That stopped me. I, I, I couldn't move forward because I, I knew what Jesus was saying to me. And he brings me back to this, what he's saying. Do to others what you would like them to do to you. It's not just about how other people treat you, but it's also about how God treats you. You need to treat people the way Jesus treats you. With patience. With love. With mercy. With grace. We do that, we'll never be a hypocrite. Amen? Amen. Amen. This message was made available by the Ride Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit their YouTube page. 3 a.m. Ride Seventh-day Adventist Church.
Von der Biermann sang Hide Me in Your Holiness. And coming up next, the West Coast Baptist College will sing Do They See Jesus in Me?
to God's Favourite Shepherds, a collection of 39 short stories rounding out the lives of mainly lesser-known Bible characters, with many of the stories ending with a short quiz. Listen now to the author of God's Favourite Shepherds, Bill Ackland. The story I would like to share with you today is entitled The Music Man, The Blessing of Music. The story is based on First Book of Chronicles chapters 16 and 25, 2 Chronicles 29 and 35, Nehemiah 12 and the Psalms. My name is Asaph. I have the good fortune of living in the time when David is king of all Israel. I am a descendant of Levi through his son Meron, along with Heman, also of the tribe of Levi, through another son Kohath, I had much to do with the music to be provided for the tabernacle and later the temple in Jerusalem when it was set up there and the ark returned to the most holy place. Heman had the distinction of having the seer Samuel as one of his ancestors. I also was known as a seer in Israel and many of my psalms are recorded to be passed on to later generations for use in worshipping the Most High God. My sons Gedaliah, Zen, Jeshiah, Shimei, Hashabiah and Mattathiah also participated in the music to be provided for the tabernacle worship services through singing and in sweet harmonies on their musical instruments. The music for the tabernacle is quite involved. There are many praises to God sung before, during and after the periods when the writings of Moses are read. This is a vital way of keeping these words of instruction in the minds of the people. Very few copies of Moses' writings are available. The people of Israel have to make the long journey to Jerusalem to hear the word of the Lord given through our nation's great leader. If in your time my psalms have been preserved down through the years, you may read what I have written and what the singers and the people sang as we rejoice before the Lord our God at his tabernacle. Here is a little of one of my favourite psalms. How delightful are your dwellings, O Lord of hosts! My whole being yearns for the courts of the Lord. My heart and all that I am cries out for the living God. Even the sparrow has its own nest home, and the swallow has somewhere to rest. A nest for her, where her young are raised. But for me, O Lord, your altars are where I want to rest. O my King and my God, those who live in the house of the Lord are blessed. They shall always praise you. A day in your temple is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather stand at its threshold as a gatekeeper for God than to dwell in the palaces of the wicked. For the Lord is my bright sun and my safe shield. The Lord endows us with grace and honour. He will not withhold any good thing from those who walk in his ways. O Lord of hosts, the man who puts his trust in you is most blessed. And that psalm can be found in Psalm 84, 1 to 4 and 10 to 12. All my fellow musicians and praise leaders count it a great honour to be chosen to fulfil our roles in the tabernacle as we represent the people before the Lord in joyful and holy music, sung and played as a devotion to Him. 
Perhaps you have been blessed with the gift of music or song. If so, my advice to you is that you use these blessings to honour God and not to glorify yourself with your special talents, which God can remove from you before a note fades into silence. You've been listening to God's Favoured Shepherds, a book with 39 short stories rounding out the lives of mainly lesser-known Bible characters. If you have any comments or questions, or to obtain a copy of this book, give us a call within Australia on 02-4973-3456 or send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We'd love to hear from you. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.